So you know how I've been banging on every time we have a, uh, a pipe player? Turn your phone off. That would be my phone. I never get messages. Who's messaging me at this time? Everyone you know is here. Nobody. I know. My only friend. Oh, oh who's that? I'm sure our listeners don't want to hear that. Anyway, you know how I've been banging on about uh, the pipes reminding me of uh, styluses? Mm Mm-hmm. Well. Have you ever? Well, I wouldn't say banging on. It just reminds me. And and then the other part of my interest is, you know, is electronic music and tinkering around with pedals and drum machines and that kind of thing. Anyhow, the newest addition to my little kind of that part of my family is it's called a Korg Volker Keys so Korg being the um, the famous synthesizer group mm-hmm. and they have a like their entry of entry 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 level uh, synthesizers called the Volker range so like in Australia they're about 230 to 250 bucks in the like states they're, they often come in under 100 bucks and they're powerful analog synths anyway one day I was listening to um oh no never in my blank is it Brennan Keane who am I who do I, the orange album that is always that I always have there Paddy Keenan Paddy Keenan Brendan listening to Paddy Keenan and I thought I, I, I hear I hear like analog synths I hear the stylophone I know the stylophone is that uh, staccato right I kind of got put that together myself but it's the warmth it's the it's the um the regulators that mm-hmm. drone i know i've heard that sound in an analog form somewhere else anyhow i said you know what i'm going to just get myself one of those volker keys of one and one for for ages i've had a volker drum machine for forever so i went in grabbed the volker keys for like 220 bucks australian right so that's nothing for mm-hmm. an analog synth plugged it in i know i, I know in theory a bit about synthesis and and synthesizers and how, like what the oscillators do but really when it came to sitting <laughs> sitting down with a real one i had no idea so after a few hours i started to get these nice warm tones together i'm going oh what is this and the only irish tune the old irish tune that i really know is raglan road so i've been singing raglan Ra- road yeah raglan road yeah and it's actually it's because of Sinead O'Connor's version that she did on some compilation on mm-hmm. like a Smash Hits magazine or an Enemy magazine in like 90, would have been 96, 97. Oh, so it's, so it's not to do with the original uh, Paddy Kavner version? No. <laughs> Although we, the reason why it all fits together is because we were studying. I, listen, I had that song, adored it, was listening to it for a week, was seeing a girl from Dublin. I was imagining listening to this Sinead O'Connor song that was me and this girl on Grafton Street. Mm-hmm. This is Helen Farley. And then did Monday she morning have, did I she have dark her. hair she did she did indeed okay. it all it all it all fit. checks out and then Monday morning get in and I, I really liked my English teacher in school Sean Collin and lo and behold what are we studying for the week the ca- the, the cabinet bomb oh so it all fit in so this this song has sat somewhere within me since then and it's kind of don't use the word try but it's it's one of those songs that people tend to stay away from what I would say stay away from because it's possibly overdone or it's such a chestnut that it is a chestnut and we've talked about that before about how sometimes revisiting so anyway what I've been doing with my interest in also singing Shanos or in slower stuff, stuff yeah, yeah is sit down 
get a maybe a, a polyphonic or a, a fifth uh, drone setup just find a nice key that sits in my voice and then i've been i feel like i'm talking a lot here but then i've been thinking a lot about what sean matthew said to me the first time i interviewed him and he was talking about the nya and i know we've gone around the nya before right and i know this is going to done territory but he described it in a different way and what he how he illustrated it, it's in the interview he he plucked the string on his guitar and he kind of showed it in his voice how he could go up and down through the vocal range within that one key now whether that's the right description of what that now is doesn't really matter it, it, it's the feeling you can achieve by doing that so for me i had this moment the other day when i first time started to be able to sing just using either one chord or one note and maybe a slight sweep through the oscillator just to give it a bit of texture and then to sing Ragnar Road mm -hmm. so much fun and something happens with your voice i forget who we spoke to one time before and they were talking about that maybe it was sean lally and he spoke about the the relationship between the the reeds on a set of pipes and like the, your voice your voice box is mm -hmm. a set of reeds mm -hmm. but when you start singing together with them and doing the same thing you know when you're tuning your guitar or your, or your banjo and you, you you get in tune the yep. whole thing goes huh? mm -hmm. yeah it happens with your voice mm. it's the weirdest like you're looking at me like of course it does does that had never really happened to me right, before. right, right, right. like it, not to that extent and when you because you're just playing one chord and that's a drone when you're cycling through it going back to what sean had mentioned it to me like it's tingly plus it's also like you've got this encouragement like an unseen encouragement saying come here a little bit closer perfect stay there stay there now let's go to the next one you know where it is you got this yep back a bit done now hang on that for a bit longer and you're just in this moment of i feel like we should be we should be hearing this though really. but it's for me like it's not it's for you yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not a lovely way of saying no <laughs> no chance well, the reason we're talking about drones is because uh, today's guest is uh, Fine Piper from the London area. I was going to say she's from Tooting and her name is Rita Farrell. And we're totally delighted to have her along here. This is great chat. Uh, it's a great chat and the playing is brilliant. And listen right to the end because there's a little treat there in is store treat, all right. right at the end. So I think we should just get into it yeah um, what i'd like keep darren synth in the back of your mind as you're listening to this um, well at some stage i'm gonna I, I will record i did think last week after well when myself and dom did the catch-up of just the two of us having a chat i thought should i record this but i did really feel that it's not it, this is just you having fun exploring yeah yeah, yeah. the concept anyway i was gonna it's like my song about andy irvin you know, it's the same thing did, has just, dom mentioned on just, here that he has a song just, about andy irvin he will just, not record it or play it for me well because i haven't really finished it yet so uh, what i need is what i need is a is a way of constructing a melody that doesn't revolve around three chords in the guitar so i've started footering about on the keyboard at home to try mm -hmm. and because you know like you you find different shapes and accidental things and then you can think oh this is this is the beginning of a tune here that i can sort of make work so anyway if you need help i thought you meant finishing it i i can just put a bit of a fade starting it is the problem you can fade <laughs> into just, it it's just, and then fade so hey what i want to do instead of a patreon poll this week is that we know there's going to be about 1500 2000 people listening to this and we know only a small fraction of them are, um, are subscribers on whatever podcast app you're listening to at the minute if each and every one of you could do us a favor this week and just 
hit subscribe it means you get the updated uh, episode directly to your inbox and like you know, just when it comes to facebook and all those other things where we would advertise it means it kind of just takes the burden off them to deliver that there's a new episode if you look at your device now if you're on apple itunes while i'm speaking just have a look at your phone tap subscribe if you're on spotify hit subscribe in there whatever app that is it really really helps us rank within the podcasting world so if you could do that for us it would be minty right brilliant let's get into it here comes rita farrell enjoy I, I might need to consult my iPod with the names of the tunes. <laughs> so just FYI, wherever that is. Um, so um, yeah, okay. I'll get. I'll give it a blast now.
Rita Farrell, welcome to the Balarney Pilgrims podcast. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks. What was that? What, what, what did we just hear? Um, so the first one is called Mama's Pet, which are quite it's quite a nice, nice name. little um, name. Uh, the other one, I'm frantically looking it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, but it's I got them. It, it Hinchy's Delight is is the name of it. Um, I got it from my teacher Emmett Gill. Um, it's on his album The Mountain Grove. So um, yeah, it's a lovely. They're lovely little tunes. Those ones, especially the first one. I think I like the name. <laughs> Is that I was going? Not often I ask with the tunes that people choose, particularly the first one. Was there a reason behind why you chose it? Was that the name, or does it have another memory attached to it? Um, I think it's one of those tunes that um, is quite deceiving. I think especially for a piper, because um, you think that it's quite an easy tune um, because it's kind of got all the notes that pipers like, like F and A and D and everything. But then. Um, technically it's it's quite difficult so there's a lot of stops that you have to kind of put within the tune so there's f a a a d d so there's did so i tend to uh it's it's one of those tunes where i feel like you need to concentrate right <laughs> so it's probably not a good one to start on to be honest <laughs> i don't know it's sounded, yeah, <laughs> yeah you had me <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i, I like I like teaching it especially because um, it's it's a simple one, but then I feel like um, people get a lot out of it. So, yeah, it's good. Um, so you mentioned Emmett Gill there as your teacher. So who who is Emmett? So Emmett, um, he originally, um, well, he's originally from London. Um, and when I was about 12, 12-ish, um, I, I wanted to start the pipes and my... Colter's teacher at the time she um her her son Emmett played plays the pipes and he he basically gave me a few lessons but he was living in Ireland at the time so anytime I was over in Ireland during the summer we kind of get together and have like um like I don't know two hour workshops or something that kind of keep me going for a few months until (laughs) until the next one so um yeah so that I I get a lot of my um sort of inspiration from him he now is um i think he's an archivist in napibrielin in dublin so he yeah he's doing well over there quite jealous Um, (laughs) where did the pipes come into your life how did that happen uh well i was originally i think because i started the whistle and the flute my dad taught me from a really early age I, i can't remember not playing the whistle basically really Um, yeah it's really funny um when I look back it's like I think my first tune on the whistle was like a hymn bind us together lord (laughs) bind us together yeah 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 was that for this so I think it's an easy one and I think my mum and dad played in church quite a lot so it was one of those tunes that kind of stuck in my head when I was young so Mm. I remember that around the age of five and then my dad had a was it called he he had this flute that he he had never been able to get a note out of and he always joked that he was going to use it for firewood um (laughs) and uh, I think it was a Ganley flute um and we've got it around somewhere but um I I managed to get a a note out of it and then mum and dad took me to lessons in tooting um Mm -hmm. where I basically um 
Marion taught us uh, a lot. Well, we, we, we went into competitions and we I, I, I got a lot of tunes from Marion over the years. So that was good. Um, and then I think my That's first... Marian... Marion Gill. So that's oh, Emmett's, oh, uh, Emmett's mum. Um, right. She, so she was, she was really encouraging. Um, and I ended up going to my first floor in, I think it was two thousand and two. Um, so, and, and whereabouts is Tooting for the benefit of those who for me aren't familiar with, aren't familiar yeah, with the geography. So, it's so I I grew up in London. So um, we're based in southwest London, um, and Tooting is only about a 10, 10 or fifteen minute drive from here. So yeah. um, uh, she Marion is originally there. That she's based in North London, but I think at the time they were doing um, they were doing lessons for kids down in South London, which was really good because. There was no one really else around here from what I could... There was, there was definitely... There was Brendan Mulcair, who um, sadly passed away a couple of months ago. He was based in Hammersmith, um, I think, at the time. So, uh, yeah, it was... I think because it was such a... Uh, it was so easy to get to, mum and dad are like, this is meant to be. <laughs> right. Um, but, and uh, what, what did your mum and dad play, instrument-wise? So, mum they're still playing yeah. <laughs> I can't get to them to stop but um, they my mum <laughs> is a singer and she plays guitar and my dad plays he plays five string banjo um guitar whistle harmonica um and then all good my... staples all good staples of the the folk music choir mm. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I'm very familiar with that uh it's funny because everyone's like oh I bet you play loads together and it's it's not really the case well we would we would sometimes but um i think when i was younger i was like oh this is so uncool i don't want to play with <laughs> mom and dad <laughs> so when you talk about uh, growing up there um what year are we talking about when you were first starting to learn the whistle so um probably nine ninety four ninety no sorry 95 i'd say right five okay. was probably when i started and then and then um when I started the flute, I was about nine or ten, I think. Right. Um, and then I and then I went on to the um, I went on to the pipes at the age of eleven, um, and that was I was kind of inspired by when I went to my first All Ireland flower. There was a lot of um, people who I met there, and I'd seen the seen the Ireland pipes, and I was like, whoa. And then I kind of became a bit obsessed with them, and like listened a lot to Liam O'Flynn, a lot. <laughs> um so yeah I kind of I never really looked back from then I remember at the time there was um a, a guy who actually made one of my first flutes Brendan McCauley um he's based in South London as well and he's a piper um and he my dad was telling him oh Rita's really interested in playing the pipes and Brendan was like oh gosh tell her tell her no it's it's it'll be the bane of her life <laughs> she she'll be uh, she'll be worrying about reeds all the time and she'll spend lots of money which is basically what I've done <laughs> <laughs> since uh-huh. so yeah it's uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't um take any of it back can I just ask about something you mentioned with your mum and dad I don't want to presume, but were they, were they, and do they play Irish music, or is it more like Damon mentioned, like where it's that they play more folk? Um, no, I think that. Well, my mum grew up in a really um, sort of big Irish music 
town as well. So she she's from um, Drumkieran in Leitrim, um, and there was a great flute player who used to live there called John McKenna. Um, so every year there'd be a um, festival. So she she even though she plays guitar, she was always backing and she was singing and right. won it. She also played with, um, or she also sang with um, a great. Um, lady called Mary McPartland who who died actually this year as well yeah um, yes so she she and her started out with a little band called Calypso and they used to go around the pubs in um in Drumkeeran and in all around Leitrim uh singing singing and playing and things so uh yeah so mum was more sort of the Irish music I think mum and dad both were sort of Irish music but I think dad kind of goes into a bit of bluegrass now and again Good on them. <laughs> so, so, um, uh, what songs do you remember your mum singing? Because, um, I think one of the ones that I that sticks out in my head is like, um, "Sunny," you know, "Sunny, uh-huh. don't go away." Sunny, don't go away. Yeah. I'm here all alone. That one. Yeah, and yep. then um, obviously, "Lovely Leitrim," <laughs> <laughs> and. Yeah, Galway Bay. Cause she li- she lived in Galway for a while as well. So do, do you um, sing any of those yourself? Do you have? Them? I I don't unfortunately. I get Come that question quite a lot. <laughs> my my brother is a really good singer. He he got all those talents, and I'm quite happy just um you know trying to play the pipes in the background. <laughs> There's always a point in these interviews when we get into one family member being a great singer, and it's always myself and Don like share this look of, oh, are we going to get a song? <laughs> Well, um, you're you're definitely um, welcome to contact here, and I'm sure he'd be more than happy to uh, okay. to give you a song or two. <laughs> so, so do you have a do you have a memory of um, like you were you were saying about those flas in Ireland going to your first All Ireland and so on? Do, do you mm. remember when you first got your hands on a set of pipes? So they're like a like a practice set or whatever it was, and they're sitting on your lap. Do you remember that experience? Um, yeah I was it was I think yeah Coleman Connolly um he's a piper from London he actually gave me a practice set to start on and they were the leakiest set like I was sweating anytime I tried to play anything it was the they were so so bad but I was so happy to have one um and he actually gave them to me um, in the All Britain flower, which was a few months later after the after the All Ireland, so I was quite lucky to get my hands on a set that quickly. Um, and I remember on the way home, I literally I strapped them in um, in the car <laughs> and played them all the way home. Oh wow! <laughs> and my, I think my mum was like, "What have I done?" Yeah, because <laughs> I was definitely like I would have been like like all over the place on the chanter, but. Um, I think they were they were quite quite happy that I just had another interest I guess in in Irish music so um yeah I was thinking just a similar thing of that like the sound of the pipes when you because they are so loud they're so distinctive and of course with the time difference from where you are and where we are when we got started it was around 10 a.m your time and I was thinking what a great way for your neighbors to wake up on a Sunday morning <laughs> feeling a I bit know. rough and then straight in I love that do you think it's um do you think we could have another tune? Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think what I could play. I've actually been listening to a lot of Tommy Rack over lockdown. Um, Who's who, that? 
so he's um, a piper who I believe he he spent a lot of time in London. So there was a great pipers club here. Um, I could I think maybe it started in the sixties. I could be wrong with that though. Um, but yeah, he's he's one of my favourite pipers. But he passed away a few. I think in the nineties. I might be okay. getting this all wrong. <laughs> I might need to. You might need to fact check me. <laughs> this is a, um, a yeah a make up things safe zone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I think I think it's going to be Alexander's and O'Higgins, but I might just have to quickly remind myself if that's okay, and then no I'll, I'll strap myself in. Give me two seconds.
Okay, how did that sound? <laughs> that sounded that great. great, actually, yeah. How did it feel okay. to you? Uh, yeah, I think it was okay. I'm still out of tune, so I'm not really touching the regulators, but <laughs> story okay. of my story of my life. <laughs> so it's uh, it's fine. But actually, that second one was uh, uh, all come to me. It wasn't actually at O'Higgins in the end. Um, so the first one was called Alexander's, is that Alexander's, right? yeah. Yeah. I think then uh, it'll come back to me because it's... Okay, um, that's okay. Yeah. Every time I have a chat with a piper and the piper mentions the regulators being at a key, I, I just, or at a tune, I love the idea of a a piper's gathering and that conversation just being an, an eternal conversation. Yes. It's, it's perpetually happening at every stage during the meeting with someone during the... <laughs> I think the banjo is obviously on that list of like we're constantly tuning our instruments, but we've got nothing on the pipes. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts as well. So yeah. like, um, I mean, I know I think there's actually a piper that I know in in Australia um, called Elvin Moina. So I don't know if you know him, but um, no. I I don't know if he's playing. I I don't know where he is in 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 Australia, but I can only imagine it's it's much harder to tune pipes over that. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I yeah. Particularly imagine. this week when it was fifty degrees. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Fifty degrees and, one day and then twenty degrees the next. Yeah. Exactly. It's... And I find that my pipes play really well when it's wet. <laughs> so it's like when I wake up and it's raining, I'm like, it's a piping day. So ah, um... that's lovely. So uh, it's funny that you you mentioned before uh, embarking on those two hornpipes that uh, you were going to strap yourself in because. <laughs> The image, the image I had immediately was of, um, you know, the scene in Star Wars where somebody's getting into an a X-wing fighter before the big last finale, and they're they're getting their helmets on, they get strapped. I just had that same thing, like <laughs> something high velocity is about to happen. It's yeah. quite dangerous. There's a high possibility of fatalities, so you better be safe. Yeah, we're all not going to get out of this. <laughs> I mean, I would have to say that that's exactly what happens when you strap in the bike. <laughs> So it's an existential. It's an existential experience every time you. you yeah, get strapped I find. In. I think. I think. Do you know as well? I've really been thinking about this the last couple of years. It's like meditating a little bit. Um, I, I think maybe for for all musicians, it's like meditating. But I think the only time I can really like get into the zone is when I'm like, when I'm literally all I can think about is is the tune, and then I I zone everything out. Um, and it's I find as well because um, when I was learning to play the regulators, there's this tendency to kind of go, okay, I'll stick a regulator, I'll, I'll stick in a couple of chords now, and then you kind of lose it. So um, you kind of have to be at one with everything in order for it to all to kind of work together, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. And I've I also found that. Um, going out and playing um sessions and stuff like has really improved my mental health quite a lot because you're um you're concentrating on like something that isn't work and um other stresses for like two hours on a wednesday or whatever and it's kind of like you hit a reset button and you're like okay i can do this week again <laughs> i can continue mm. what, do, what do you um, work at um I'm an architect so um I do quite small projects mainly work on private residential homes across London 
um mm-hmm. and it's it's really good fun you but you get the odd you get the odd stressful client the odd stressful builder and um mm-hmm. but it's nothing you, that music can't handle do you work for yourself <laughs> um no i work for um darren oldfield architect so we're we're very very small um there's only four of us in in right. the firm um when when you were going to school um was architecture something that you quite quickly saw as being something that you wanted to get into or like how did you come to that um yeah i quite like there's this whole sort of stereotypical like i liked maths and art but i think because i'd played a lot in different spaces i was more interested in it and think how things sounded um and why why spaces sounded the way they did so i i kind of got more in into that part of it and um i ended up doing my my thesis in sixth year on um on session spaces around belfast um so i I basically analyzed them from like an architectural point of view and also from a musical point of view um and it was great because i basically did a paper on pubs and got a really high mark and didn't feel like i did a lot of (laughs) how how much research has been done into this prior to you like particularly with pubs like i i I get the science of of architecture and and sound but what about the pub like how much was actually there um at the time i there wasn't an awful lot of research because i i obviously was looking back at what other people had done um at the time um i look i looked at there was oh uh, there was a uh, a book that i was heavily looking at at the time i can't remember the name of it but there was also some publications by i think seamus tansy as well i looked at some of his stuff um but yeah i actually my friend actually sent me there's an there's another um person that has been looking into session spaces recently and she what was it it was um it the snug project yeah so you know how like an arc so um in in session spaces it's all kind of about the snug Mm. (laughs) um so yeah that this seems to be uh kind of similar to what i i was looking at um and it's good that i feel like um my body of work will hopefully contribute to whoever looks at it next and and things like that i think it, it would be great if i could if i could have the time to do something similar and, and build on what i what i already researched but um it's, so i know it's this was only time. this was a six-year project is that right yeah it was okay. it was about six months um my i had um i was fortunate enough to be my my tutor in third year was steve larkin who is an architect fiddle player uh from just outside dublin i think waterford or wexford he's he's he'll be annoyed if i get that wrong but mm-hmm. <laughs> um he he designed Mraith Namuni's house um who she's the lead singer right. in, in alton um and it's in donegal so I, I i was really inspired by that because he ended up um he designed a space within within between her kitchen and her living room which was uh, tuned to the key of g minor so wow. when she when she stands in that space and plays in G minor, it resonates. 
So, I've got such goosebumps. That, that is yeah. incredible. So, so then, so, sorry, um, that, that was uh, Steve Larkin. He's the yeah. architect, and yeah, Mareith Nimuni. So it, it, I think he named it House House for Musician or something. So, so what were you, what were you doing in your research? Like, which pubs were you looking at, and what were you what were um, you examining? So, break that so, down for me, because I'm, I'm go as nerdy thrilled by this. Yeah, both of myself and I were smiling at each other, going, "What?" <laughs> it's um. So I, I basically, I looked at, I think, how many, it was about five pubs. So I looked at Madden's um, in Belfast. So yeah, these are all within like a square mile of each other, if not smaller. Um, Madden's, Kelly's, the Duke of York, uh, the John Hewitt. I think that that might have been at it, actually. I didn't have time to do a fifth one. Um, but I was looking at like materials, um sort of the the ge- geometry of the spaces um how open they were like heights how many musicians you can fit into the space as well because um you kind of have to take into account like everybody's uh, absorption coefficient of course <laughs> uh so it was yeah i my conclusion was that um Kelly's Cellars because I, I, I also interviewed quite a lot of um, musicians as well at the time just I was like out of curiosity what's your favorite spot in Belfast to play in and everybody was telling me it was um, Kelly's Cellars but by the toilets <laughs> it was so, just a pocket yeah I think it was because it was um, kind of big enough to have you know a few musicians with some space um the punters were kind of kept out of the way as well. The the materials were like it was um like leather seats and old old sleeper kind of beams above your head, um like original lath and plaster and things like that. So um I think the combination of everything was like kind of perfect. Um but yeah, there was a lot of other things that came into it like um uh, how busy the pub would be at certain times and uh of course like, the temperature exactly yeah mm-hmm. so it's um it's it's really interesting but it, it's it's You've one of those tingling. things so yeah. in my previous life I, I worked in live audio and mm. it's crazy what you're saying is it was a lot of what my day-to-day would be would you would bring in a large sound system into a into a room and then you would spend that day ch- tuning the sound system to that room and that's using um, microphones just to find the reflections in the room, to find where the phasing and the pockets are. And it, it kind of, it, all of that part of my life, it makes sense to do it on a on a macro scale because you've got one sound source and you've been paid a lot of money to bring in a big sound system and make something sound amazing. Not mm-hmm. Never once have I ever stopped to apply that same thinking to the pub. That's why I'm so kind of like tractor beam into what you're saying. I, I love it. What, yeah. Out of some, out of was were there some kind of really interesting findings that you were su- surprised with? Um, I think what I was surprised with was so I think my favourite pub to play in was was Madden's at the time, um, but a lot of people like it's still a great pub, but beca- because it became such a um, became kind of a tourist spot so people were like oh but then I was like if you went in there in the middle of the day it would be like the perfect the perfect spot and what I found as well was really interesting um they have really high back um 
timber like a built-in sort of snug area like the tim the timber backs on the snug um mm. and i think that kind of made it more special um yeah. that they had a number of different places um and they still do where you play music there's there's one right by the um upstairs right by the um the bar uh, sort of entrance um where you can only fit like six musicians in um and it kind of is the perfect spot for the musicians but not so much for the punters um because the punters can't really see they can't really hear the bar staff are having to like battle with everyone yeah. <laughs> trying to get in and out of the bar um and then they got moved to like the corner which was kind of a bit it's hard to hear for the musicians but the punters loved it so it was kind of from what i found i think my research the biggest surprise was kind of the the balance between getting it right for the musicians and also the punters um and i think madden's is one of those bars that like they look after their musicians um and they're always conscious of how a session feels to two musicians i think um yeah did, so did your research look at, at lighting at all and i think i'm just particularly particularly aware of it because australia do lighting very very different than mm. ireland does and and i think like england as well their pub lighting is always very soft very warm lighting i think yeah. over here maybe because it's warmer it's usually the it's the op, the opposite they're trying to achieve it's light and it's airy and it feels yeah. um cavernous so, so was light part of that that study um i didn't actually look at light in my research but um it's it's definitely yeah definitely something i would look at um i i, I played a few sessions down in the cobblestone as well i'm sure you're all familiar yeah. with it in dublin <laughs> um and it's it's really it's a lovely little space that tom has for the musicians because um it's completely open there's a massive window right next mm -hmm. to the to the session space so during the day like i normally when i go there i am actually playing during the day because i tend to meet up with uh, friends um and i would come i'd literally get off the plane and just go straight to the cobblestone yeah. <laughs> um so i it's that's a really really lovely space and the light at that time of day is 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 great because um they're not also you look outside of the cobblestone and there's great big the uh, the smithfield square so you're not surrounded by lots of buildings um so it's it's pure i don't even know which way i think they're facing west so there's great sunlight um and i think <laughs> being in ireland um you need all the light you can get really <laughs> and yeah. all warmth and things like that so um yeah it's definitely like I, I feel like with the research that I um that I carried out it was like the tip of the iceberg because it I find that a lot of people are really interested by it um how do you and... balance the the um how do you balance the technical perspective that you're bringing to it which is about the physics of the space and the materials that you describe and so on and then those human dynamics like you were mentioning about uh the musicians prefer this space because it's not too exposed to the punters and mm. you know there's there's once humans are involved everything becomes much more i would imagine much more subjective right 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's something it's it's hard to measure really, I think. Um because I I did do it was funny when I st- I remember my tutorials with my um with my lecturer at the time and she was like Rita you need to stop stop describing it as me as a musician now we need to we need to get a bit more technical on it right. <laughs> um so um that was I think at the time I really had to learn quite a lot um and there was a lot of equations that I looked up that I didn't really understand <laughs> at the time um but yeah I think what what I found was the proportions of sound waves um, can be adapted to spaces, and I thought that that was just like amazing, such a mind blowing. What what do you mean by that? Can you explain that to me in another way? That so, for instance, the way that the way I understand Steve designed the um, G minor um, space for Marave mm-hmm. was that he took the sound waves of G minor which I think the what's the um, relative major is G B, B major maybe I'm not sure it's one it's basically G minor and it's relative major he took the um the sound waves and measured them and then um in terms of height and width of the space he managed to kind of get the proportions so that they would be the exact measurements of the sound waves um so that's a very basic <laughs> description of what he did. Um, he would he would be able. To, I think he was. Last so is that I taking like a waveform? You see, you would take the waveform that would be the note, like the waveform for yeah. the note, and then knowing that that waveform would repeat. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Let's say that's ten times. So ten times equals two point seven meters. Yeah. Times so, the relative major. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of. The crux of it basically is that you just take this, um, say if you had like a square meter of space um, and you would ba- you would basically try and find the optimum, um, uh, the optimum space within that square meter for, for the particular note. Um, Here's a gross story. When we used to do the sound systems, there was one place in, in Melbourne called the Hi-Fi Bar that it was in a basement and then the sound system would go the subs would go on this on the on the floor and then the rest of the system would be up on the stage and it was legendary that apparently the brown note lived in the middle of the hi-fi bar so we and a lot of the gigs that we were doing would have been drum and bass and dubstep mm. and stuff like that but the the legend was that the brown note could be achieved in the middle of that dance floor. Brown note. oh it's really a, a, a note that when a very very low note that rumbled your guts to the point of right rupture yeah <laughs> so there <laughs> is urban like legends the for that um that sound system mega blast sound system achieving that on a, a few times uh, cool. i was gonna what, say it sounds like the drones <laughs> yeah there seems to be a um, a reoccurring theme i'm noticing through my life of things i'm attracted to so <laughs> naturally progressing from drum and bass to to ellen pipes to me seems just so natural the brown yeah note. all right it's, it sounds like the. It sounds like it's. That's a title begging for a tune, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So. It is. I, w- I was going to um, actually play the flute. I think for this this one. Great, brilliant. Uh, I was going to play a couple of John McKenna tunes. Um, so, like I said earlier, that's where my mum's from. Oh, dad, dad's here as well. I just might just double check. Dad. Um, the happy bloom of youth. 
is that Mr. Put dad on. I've put dad on the spot here. I can almost go out and play the original tunes. <laughs> I think it's Colonel Rogers' favourite. Anyway, yeah, McKenna, McKenna reels anyway. amazing thank you Rita, i have a question you, you, earlier on you mentioned um tommy wreck who uh, i wasn't familiar with but it did make me think when you are when you're seeking out something like, like that and you said you've been listening to him quite a quite a bit what what do you look for in in these all the recordings or like what draws you in um i think it's it's a lot down to um I think with pipers, I'm kind of drawn to a certain style, I think. Um, and I suppose also like um, a certain like confidence with their tune playing and things. Um, and what I, what, do, you mean? what um, do you mean by that? I'm, I'm curious about that. 
Well, so I think with so style wise, I'm I would I like I like sort of utilizing what the chanter can do. So a lot of stops, um, quite tight piping, um, and I would consider Tommy like he'd be like one of my favorite um, sort of styles, I guess. Um, and he was kind of the generation where like he was um around the time of like Willie Clancy and and uh the Rosens and stuff so there's like there's a few there's definitely like a few uh pipers that are kind of like like part of a godly kind of <laughs> uh clan I guess yeah. uh, which kind of look up to um and I also I love that so any recordings that uh, Tommy Rack uh, that I've listened to of Tommy Rack they're always just kind of like solid playing you know that there's like there's no there's, it's just it's just a pure you can just feel the confidence oozing out of him I feel um, and unfortunately I never met him but it, I would have liked to have have met him. <laughs> You mentioned earlier that you listened to a load of Liam O'Flynn records early on. Uh, Liam O'Flynn, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How would you describe his style then? Um, I think he's quite. Um, I would say he's quite close. I think he always tried to because he he became quite um, quite famous and put the Ellen Pipes in sort of a kind of front light. Um, and I and I think he always kept to kept the um, the essence of the pipes quite well because um, I think there was this element of you know playing with all these um, famous people um, and and to be honest I, I've 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 been there as well because I I was playing with uh, Robbie Williams this time last year um, which was quite quite funny <laughs> we're gonna have to like let's we're going back to that I need to know more about that. But um, he, even though he was playing a lot with um, um, quite famous people, like he, he kept really true to what the pipes were all about. Um, and I, I always thought that, like, he was never swayed by any other, another, any other sort of playing. Um, and there's a really interesting documentary um, that was aired on D- TG Kaha about him during, uh, during the summer. It was quite emotional. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, it, it just. He was just a, yeah, it goes back to him being such a solid player throughout his life. Um, and, it, yeah, I, I met him, I only met him a couple of times, actually. But when I was really young, um, I saw him play in Hammersmith. Um, mm-hmm. And he, I met him briefly after the show and I was like, oh, I love you. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was only about 12. I thought he was amazing. But my dad at the time worked at Heathrow Airport and um, he, he actually saw Liam come through the next day. And because I was raging, I didn't get an autograph from him. So dad got like an Aer Lingus ticket and got him to sign it for me. So we've got it. We've got it. Uh where is it? It's framed somewhere in the house. Um, oh, lovely. Yeah, it said something like, um, uh, good luck with playing the pipes and everything. So it was just, he was really encouraging to youngsters. Um, and I think, I think being a girl, I really needed that as well because I was just surrounded by guys all the time. <laughs> um, so. Mm-hmm. Was, um, was that um, 
during your sort of high school years you're talking about there you were surrounded by guys or was it more yeah um I think yeah I think like it's definitely it's definitely improved um in terms like there's a load of amazing female pipers out there and I don't like calling them female pipers we're just pipers that happen to be female but I think yeah I was I was surrounded by guys all the time and and also through college as well um I found it quite strange that I'd be the only like female in a session and things um and it's it's certainly improved and I think when I came back to London we I found there was like a congregation of of females and a lot of them were my friends already um and we all kind of came together and we started playing music more and I think it's become quite a quite a good environment here anyway but um yeah. What was it like? I mean, when you say when you say you're surrounded by a lot of guys, what what's that like for a young woman? Um, it can be definitely quite daunting. I was, um, I think I had more confidence when I was young. I kind of didn't really, you know, I I was trying to be. I think yeah, I think I spoke about this. Um, with you Darren before but I, mm-hmm. I definitely had more confidence when I was younger and I just thought I, I feel like I I deserve to be here I'm like a young person I'm exactly the same as everybody else here in the room um and I I mean every single person I came across was absolutely I mean everyone's been really really nice to me I think I found it easier when I was probably in secondary school to deal with my peers in fact I didn't really need to deal with them I think I was just we we were just peers you know all playing the pipes I think where I found it really uncomfortable was like um the older sort of men who like punters in in the in the in the pubs and things because they would they, they would make quite inappropriate comments so um I was I was always I would always brush it all off and stuff but there's stuff that I heard that no 13 or 14 year old should should be hearing to be honest um do you mean sexualized comments and yeah yeah right. um like it kind of innuendos that would be um to do with the fact I played the pipes and stuff it just was quite right. it was quite uncomfortable but it it was never from like within the circle it was always just kind of drunk guys on the outside um who didn't know that I was so young I guess or maybe they did so yeah within within the music circle itself um how do the power dynamics play out um I think um I I think there's definitely um no offense but there's definitely more egos to contend with (laughs) um with with guys um I, th- I found that more I think when I was yeah when I was at college um and I'd go into a session and I kind of I would I would be like right I'm gonna sit here and see what happens and you'd, you'd be in some sessions and some people wouldn't even like turn around and welcome you in um and I don't know whether that's kind of an elitist kind of thing or yeah I it I it may not be down to genders particularly it might have been because at the time I was surrounded by more men than women um but we we tend to I was talking about this with 
a few of my friends last night actually a lot of them due to covid um, have moved back to ireland um and they're like kind of you know post covid they're going to be on the hunt for some sessions but we were just saying like how um how good it was in london because we were trying to be so inclusive to everybody and not be as clicky um and regardless of your sex as well but i do feel like um there there needs to be better um that it needs to be more comfortable for females because um we had we had one woman who turned up to a session that we had in southeast london and she was probably i think she might have been sort of middle age like mid 40s or so but she came with the flu and she was so shocked to see that we were an all-female session um and she joined in straight away and was really happy and she said she hadn't played in years because she was quite intimidated and was a player that had picked up the flute later later on in life um so i think that those sorts of musicians need to be encouraged um a lot more and yeah it it can be quite difficult there's all this like session etiquette stuff that people mm-hmm. go on about <laughs> <laughs> i think Cormac Begley did a um did a a survey on it um a couple of years ago and people uh people were allowed to sort of anonymously comment and some of the comments i read i remember thinking they were quite funny at the time but <laughs> um yeah i think there is there's about definitely... session about session etiquette particularly yeah like what um should you record at a session should you take videos at a session um like who who um who starts the tune and all this um i think it's all online um but yeah i think i I think he did research for he might have been writing a paper as well Um, i think talking about sessions and session etiquette is one of those things where it kind of feels like a landmine um topic you i think we all have Mm. opinions on it but you yeah you're terrified of mentioning something that whoever you're speaking with feels differently about. And I think I've got a slightly different view only because I'm so involved in like the like old time sessions. And then, mm. so they have their own etiquette, which is different to a bluegrass, um, well, they call them jams, but it's a session to yeah. then like an Irish session. And the different approaches and the different ways you would you you approach approach each now i'm i'm aware of all three and i always like even right now i feel nervous like i'm not going to actually name any specifics because i don't want to get it yeah. wrong i don't want to offend anyone <laughs> it's actually yeah. one of the most hot button topics and we've talked about a lot of well is it, is, it stuff. Is, is there um rita would there be an overarching an overarching rule which would be be polite and don't be an arsehole oh 100 percent, yeah yeah because because like uh, it just like at the end of the day everyone's there to play music and like it's it's supposed to be a fun a fun thing and you know there's no point in being malicious or grumpy or anything about it um but there there was there was um this whole Misha Foster thing that happened during the summer I feel like yes. COVID has just like like I don't know magnified a lot of these issues but um they that that I don't want to I think it's quite a deep subject but um it was to do with more to do with sexual assault um 
on young musicians well any musician actually and um I think there's been like a culture of uh, not speaking up about it especially with the older older generation um so I think what what the what the girls and uh, well what the all everyone who's been behind Misha Foster have been doing I think it's been like amazing uh them speaking up about it um I mean it's down to just like people just sending inappropriate messages to full-on sexual assault and there's like no I think it's about time that we properly called it out basically um and I had an interesting conversation with um a friend of mine who he runs the session in Cork um and he said that um he he in there was always this one particular person who used to come to the session who would get like quite uncomfortably close to the females in the session and then they would the the females would subsequently leave because of this person um I don't know any of these people by the way this is just a a story so he was saying that the next time he 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 was like oh I feel really bad that I didn't call it out at the time but I definitely will be next time because it's just about it's it's about making everybody feel comfortable um and whether you're male or female I think um you just I think we just all have to sort of look out for each other basically um and if there's one person in the session that's kind of ruining it for everybody, then it's down to the rest of us to be like, oi, <laughs> don't, don't be an arsehole. <laughs> With your session yeah. in, in London, mm. what was the catalyst behind that? Or was that a, an organic thing that just happened by circumstance or did it, was it planned out? It was, it, well, it was kind of um, the, the landlord of this pub called The Bear, which is in Camberwell, he contacted Ema about session. Um, and it, it was a paid session. So we had like three three musicians would be guaranteed to be there every week. Um, but it became really, really popular. Um, unfortunately, the pub ended up that the, the, well, the, the building landlord ended up um developing the upstairs so it, it got shut down um and actually it's it's actually happened to the other pub that we play in at the moment that's that got planning permission to convert the the uh, hotel rooms above the pub into flats so it means it's happening to another one of our pubs which is just the standard procedure in London I think of just developers and coming in and sweeping up but that's a whole other issue <laughs> Um, but yeah, so then we moved to a place called the the White Hearts, um, and we had um, we had sessions there on Wednesdays and Sundays, and then another one we had uh, in we've got Howl at the Moon, which is on a Saturday and Sunday. So there's a lot there's a lot of sessions happening, um, and yeah, I I also run a session in Wimbledon last Friday of the month, which is a charity session, um, and it's kind of just a free-for-all it's whoever turns up really sometimes there's one person so it could just be my mum and her guitar or there might be 10 musicians so it's quite it's quite funny and is there um, is a women's only one is, that, is the one you mentioned and you said it was only women I don't know but is a, a women's only session? oh no it's yeah no it's not just it's not just women um I think we Ema and I weirdly we we subconsciously started booking more females I think and I, I 
we kind of did that by accident. We didn't like actively go, right, this is who we're going to book now. But it was, it wasn't until we kind of like, oh, we, you know, I feel like I haven't played in like, you know, a mainly male session in, in like months, <laughs> which, is it, which is, is kind of cool. Is there a, um, I was going to say, is there a, uh, is there a different, is there a different musical thing going on when it's just yourselves, just women? Um, I think, I think it's like, we, we tend to, I feel like I, I tend to challenge myself to, so we, so for instance, I have like a WhatsApp group and we send each other, um, uh, like tunes to try and play at the next one. And we, we definitely, I feel like there's definitely more encouragement, um, when, when we have, um, we, we would kind of make sure that everybody, regardless of if you're if you're shy or if you're new to the game I think giving people the right amount of space and no and to let them know that they can start a tune when they like and they don't necessarily need to be asked by someone to start a tune as well I think that's important because um yeah it it's where is this I, session that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> and we can like I, do it's funny like instantly i was thinking i really want to ask where it is because if i was in the vicinity and i heard you talk about this i'd be so in i just excited yeah exactly yeah. but to Aww. the same if you want to keep it to yourself <laughs> then i'm no. kind of thinking oh well maybe i shouldn't ask <laughs> no no it's well it's in new cross but um the, we think oh, right. that the last the last session might be in January, which is really sad because of these developers. So, um, but I think the the owners of the pub are gonna they're they're looking to find another place. Basically, I think um, I think they'll definitely keep the music because um, mm-hmm. uh, that the the guys who own it are like they're young lads from Cork. So um, they kind of, I think they're already looking for their next venture. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Is there a, um, is there somewhere you'd point us or any of our listeners to to follow that? Like uh, is there a Facebook or a? Yeah, I mean, if um, if you've uh, let me see, there is there is an Instagram account called um, uh, Irish Music in London or Irish Music and Dance in London, yeah, which yeah, is run. That that's run by um Karen Ryan um and she she has a list of all the sessions on a website which should be linked on that page um and and it and in on that website it will also say who who runs those sessions so um Ema is kind of the name to look out for she'd be doing Howl at the Moon as well which is, is carrying on that's in Hoxton um very very it's a small pub but it's um it's a good good fun as well perfect so. well i'll make sure i get the exact yeah. details and put all that stuff in the show notes yeah yeah uh, uh, would you fancy doing another tune for us uh yeah i'll do it on the pipes now i think all talking right. of liam o'flynn and tommy rack um i'll play a few reels i kind of put this set together um during covid i think but um yeah the two the first two the first one's called the sailor's cravat and then the second one is i'm waiting for you so i got those from recording of liam o'flynn and then the last one is tommy rex version of bonnie kate so see how this goes (laughs) 
Are you right there? Who is correct? <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. Now I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb here, right? So, so listening to those tunes, right? I know exactly what you mean when you were talking about the tightness and the sort of the sort of firmness of the kind of piping that you like, and like there's there's two things that kind of were going into my head as I was listening to that. The first was that I went for a swim today in the yeah. sea here. Uh, and it was really rough right and sometimes you go for the swim here um the waves are really steady and predictable and uh, i'm not a great swimmer either so i go in and i'm like ah, oh, here comes a wave i'm ready for it Whew. right that wasn't today today was like here comes a wave oh there's another one coming from the side ah wait it was like that right and it was like all over the place now i'll that's the feeling that I get sometimes when I listen to certain very old pipers, right? Yeah. Where um, now I realize the, the failure in, is in my perception, but I feel completely at sea at times listening to them. Whereas with what you just played, I was like, this feels really... Uh, I know exactly what you mean about when you're talking about using the chanter and to anchor the, the pieces down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like more solid... So it was it was that was that was great uh, thank so thank you, you. That's, <laughs> that's a very complicated way of saying but, like so no it's really good if it's i think it's kind of worth getting into the weeds a little bit about it are there some technical descriptors that would help someone like myself mm -hmm. and dom so like there's like one of my favorite um documentaries is the uh that is it oh, is it brass and it's about the traveling pipers brass and copper and brass and oh, i think yeah. that the style i love the style in that but it's a it's a bit more like i think what dom was saying like it's the opposite of the 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 steady rolling ways like it's it's there's a lot going on but once when like for me i i enjoy that style a lot as well mm -hmm. <sighs> within the piping community like is there a, is there a way that you would describe that type of playing rather than the Lima Flynn, I, I... yeah so it's it's essentially open and closed piping um so there's like that sounds uh... simple but come on <laughs> <laughs> so like paddy keenan for instance great piper um like he would be very open um very so the way i describe it is that you a lot of people would say um the chanters like like a flute but it's not because you're essentially you're taking off like one finger just to play an f or two fingers to play a g whereas on the flute you would take you know two fingers off and it's kind of a run up from d to b um whereas it's 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 way more specific on the chanter so i think with the open style playing they tend to um they would lift up a few more fingers um and it it becomes like you said a bit more like flowy um a, a lot more sort of waves and there's, there's a lot of um uh i mean i think of uh oh what's it the the guys that did the um fox hunt the fox chase um it's it's very like the fox chase reel is probably a very good example of open playing because it's all about when you listen to it it's all about the fox and the chase and the hounds oh, that, yeah, yeah, and yeah. 
Do you see what I mean? So yeah, it's like using. Yeah, so it's funny how you mentioned Shimasini Ennis because he was exactly the player I had in my mind when yeah. that's yeah. the stuff that, that sometimes I, I'm I'm at sea and I'm like, oh, what's this? Called? Is this Fox Chase? Is there, any, is there a YouTube example of a, a guy playing that on fiddle as well? He's, he's uh, Yeah. It's um, a really good example of the the music being the story. Yeah, This exactly. is sounding so familiar. Yeah. All right, I'll do my research and I'll put the links so, in. So then, <laughs> so then the other thing I was going to ask you... Um, really oh, it was, was the Furies, sorry. Just yeah. The Furies, yeah. that's, that's it, right. That's yeah. The Furies. Yeah, sorry, anyway, carry on. Um, but the other thing I wanted to ask you then, and I hope this isn't too try a correlation to make, but I, I'm wondering about how you conceptualize the architecture of a tune and the actual literal architecture that you work in do those intersect in terms of ways that you approach either of them does the music help inform what you do when you're designing spaces and vice versa um well so far i haven't had any musician clients so um no, no but... and actually and actually describing um describing the house in donegal is really the the absolute apotheosis of what it's, about, it's like piping about architecture john i know yeah um well i think there's a certain um i find that it, it might when i think of tunes and if i'm learning a tune i think of them as certain, like structure um and um there has there's there's always like this it there's this thing that it makes sense at the very end but at first when you first listen to it you're like oh my gosh I'm about to learn this tune and there's you know it's just my brain and this tune and I don't know how I'm going to put it together but when you work through it um kind of verse by verse or bar by bar it starts to make sense and pull together and I think that that kind of I reflect I, I like that happens in, in definitely when I'm designing because I design something and I'm like oh I have no idea whether this is going to work I'm going to have to like put it in front of my engineers and see what they say and um I, my favorite part of designing actually is obviously I like I like putting pen to paper and like just letting myself go wild a bit but um I also like um the technical parts of it so when my engineers do come back to me with a set of structural drawings I'm like this actually works this actually makes sense and I can make it stand out properly now <laughs> okay. um, so I think that's kind of how I see it at the moment I mean I'm I'm designing um, a nice little project in um, in South London at the moment where the my client is um, he's he's got special well it, no he's he's disabled but I'm not quite I don't want to hazard a guess at what what's what he basically needs a lot of help getting around um and um but we decided to utilize the the space at the back and because what what he needs is he needs to have at least a meter away from his so he needs it between his counters in the kitchen. He needs a meter so he can he can uh, use them to steady himself. So instead of like concentrating on the sort of ground elements of it and how because we we think it's going to be quite a confined space um, in the kitchen dining area. Um, so we're kind of utilizing head height. So we've designed like a big pop-up roof light that's going to get a lot of light in, but also it's going to like make this sort of uh, two-floor st or two-story space that is 
is a bit deceiving because it's not a two-story space um and then yeah that's also like in terms of sound it's going to make it feel a lot bigger when it's not particularly bigger so um i think there's a few tricks that darren and i have that like we we use to um because we're so used to working in small spaces in london that um it it's yeah you kind of got to get more creative almost when you've got when you've got the smaller spaces and you've got the nooks and crannies that you you have to work with and I think I like working within context a lot more than um sort of if if you if you're given a field for instance it's very very hard to put that first pen to paper I suppose it's like composing a tune (laughs) it's such a rich lovely analogy to go from architecture to music yeah. Like everything you've said there is resonated. Yeah. Like it's really, oh, it's a really nice way of putting it. I, I, I'm also quite. When you mentioned engineering drawings, there, um, we had to get engineering drawings for our house, and um, when they arrived from the council, I was looking at them, and I, I obviously didn't understand them because I'm not an engineer, but I loved looking at them. <laughs> I don't know what what it is about <laughs> looking at all the architectural drawings, not just not just the engineering drawings, but the elevations and so on. Yeah. Um, seeing a three dimensional world um, that that you live in every day expressed on paper. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know people talk about going the other way, seeing something on paper turn into three D. But for me, I just I find it absolutely thrilling and like really intriguing. I just yeah. I, I totally love those things, and they're completely mysterious to me. They're they're higher. I mean, it's like looking at the score of a Beethoven symphony or something. Yeah. You know, uh, well, it's almost like seeing a man- manuscript of of music because you're never going to see architecture like you do in a drawing. So, um, a two D elevation is is like never. You're never going to see it in two D unless you've got like some some crazy eyesight <laughs> where you can only see in 2d um, funny enough and I, I do have Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you do see elevations for what they are um uh but yeah and also like sections where you can see what actually happens between the um yes. between the roof build up and the floor build up and i find i find that really interesting because a lot of the time you know the plasterboard goes on you paint everything and you're like okay forget that there's so much work that goes beyond the you know the 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 floor finishes and the wall finishes yeah you know Um, it's funny you mention that because years ago i used to work for a small uh, family building firm not my family different family um, I was the laborer and the, the demolition guy and um, we'd be working like old houses in Scotland so and pulling a house apart when you have no idea how it's constructed is really amazing because you do, yeah. you do start to, well, you do, it's amazingly dangerous it was with those guys I'll tell you but that's a whole yeah. other story there's a whole episode yeah. about that but but, uh, <laughs> but it's really fascinating just um, seeing how the the skeleton of a house um is put together right once you take exactly those, take those yeah. boards off you take the yeah so yeah and it's um, uh, i think I, I work a lot on victorian buildings as well so there's a lot of history mm-hmm. um and you often find a lot marks. of horsehair and coal dust 
Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you, and sometimes, I mean, I'm shocked at how these buildings are still standing because a lot of their foundations might have been like, you know, during the 80s when builders came in and did bodge jobs or whatever, might have got rid of the foundations by accident. And yet the the the, the properties are still standing. It just, the, it's mind boggling. <laughs> they're just, they're just thran. Yeah. They're just thran. They should be falling down, but they're not. Speaking yeah. of icons, which are still standing, you recorded Robbie, Robbie Williams. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> nice, <laughs> um, nice segue. <laughs> so random. Um, yeah, it was. I was on his Christmas album last 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 year. Yeah. So. Right, right, go on. Yeah, well, come on. So like, yeah. let's 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 have this. Uh, we had a John Bon. We had a John Bon Jovi story last week. So give us your give us your Robbie Williams well, story. Of my story. Oh, okay. Um, well, I I ended up. Um, it was actually through a guy called Will Pound that I got the gig. He's a very good English folk um, musician, plays the button accordion. Um, and he just like messaged me and said, would you be interested in playing on Robbie Williams' new album? And I was like, oh yeah, go on, give him my email address. <laughs> like not really thinking much of it. And I was racking my brains trying to, I was like, is there a Robbie Williams that I know in Irish music? And I, you know, cause you know that there's a fiddle player called Colin Farrell. I thought there was like a version of that <laughs> that I hadn't like and I really was I came home from work and I was like you never guess what like someone contacted me about this I think it's probably not you know it's probably not going to go anywhere but we'll see um and then sure enough I get um emails from Robbie's producer um and his and, an- and another another producer as well so uh, Guy Chambers who um mm. worked with him quite a lot um, he was one of the guys who was in that email chain and we we basically we recorded it in May so it was quite strange recording Christmas songs in May mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, but yeah I went to went to Guy Chambers recording studio and put down so where did you where stuff. do you sit before this happened like where on the Robbie Williams fan spectrum did you sit I I mean I was kind of the era of him um becoming he, he so i know him as like the solo artist i guess yeah, angel so i was like yeah 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 so i i absolutely loved him um uh, so i was i was over the moon to be Perfect. asked and i'm sure there's loads of pipers thinking oh god reason why did you sell your soul but i was like i don't even care so <laughs> did you get to meet him? yeah so um he wasn't at the studio the day i recorded but um i ended up going on graham norton show um around christmas time so um i ended up meeting him and um graham norton <laughs> and, which one um, out of the two is most sickeningly charming because both uh, of them are just like they're ridiculously nice people i think like ron williams are. has got his he's a, so, he's a brash character but he seems he's lovely yeah he came up to um myself and emma who the other fiddle player on on the album and he introduced ourselves and it, or it introduced himself and and um thanked us for coming and playing on his album and it was just really really lovely and i i was really confused though because i thought he would be smaller but he's really big <laughs> right um and then yeah and then um Graham Norton was kind of running around backstage with cups of tea and um, uh, glasses of champagne and stuff. So he was he was quite He's so busy. great. <laughs> that's but that's yeah. great to hear. So then yeah. that came out for Christmas, just like 
2019 Christmas, was it? It yeah, it was. So yeah, this time last year. Um, but I think the... I think it's still it's it's still kind of doing the rounds this year. Um, What's the name of the album and the, and the tune? Uh, so it's called the tune is called Fairy Tale, um, and the album is just I think it's just is it just Robbie Williams Christmas album? I think it could be just something simple like that. Um, well, but... I'll, I'll I'll again link in the show notes to this as well. Yeah, so it's it's called it's called Fairy Tale, but it was it was a real. Um, 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 such a good experience um i really it, it was yeah just it's just a shame that everything started to crumble with covid such yeah. a good start to the year so was there was with something like that with graham the graham norton thing I, i'm i'm right in guessing that was connected directly to the robbie williams recording yeah. or was that something different yeah so was it were yeah. you looking at doing like more in that in that vein or is that something that you aspire to do um, i don't i think i'd to be honest i hadn't really thought about it until it was there in front of me um and i i did really i thoroughly enjoyed it um uh there's it, i feel when you're recording as well i there's i think that's something i would need to get used to um because it's not my sort of sole career it's it's my hobby um and I just happen to be very lucky and get these opportunities now and again. Um, but I, th- I would, I think it's definitely that something I'd like to do more of um, in in the future. Uh, but yeah, who knows? I'm that kind fairy of fairy tale will definitely going in my uh, my annual Spotify playlist that I go on. So I look forward to having it on there. It's a really nice tune. I, I quite like it. But I think I listened to it so much when we were recording. I was like, I can't listen to this for at of least course. a year now. <laughs> well, it's coming up to that kind of season, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's um, it's. I know there's there's another piper called Jarlath Henderson who um he does a lot of um he did like the tracks for Brave um, the Pixar movie and stuff. So I think there's a lot of um, um. I I feel like Hollywood really likes the Ellen pipes. Yes, they do. They do crop up often, often erroneously. I have to say. Yeah, and even in yeah, even when you um, listen to or um, yeah, that listen to the soundtrack, uh, Braveheart soundtrack. I know. um, They don't have any Highland bagpipes on it. I think it's all. Oh, it's a shocker! Pipes. It's a shocker. (laughs) Unforgivable. Deliberate. (laughs) Deliberate. And I mean, everything else about that movie was perfect. <laughs> right, Rita. So, thank you so much for this this evening, your morning. Really appreciate your time. No problem. Do you think we could go out on a a tune or a set of tunes? Yeah. What What shall I play? Uh, give me Give me a second. Yeah, Let's sure. Think something. <laughs> Uh, so I think I'm going to play a set dance called The Drunken Gager and then go into a jig. Um, I can't remember the, the Drunken name of it. Drunken Gager, though. is yeah. that the tune that is on the album that the Pippi Ellen put out last year? Is that, is that uh, right? Which, Am I right? Or? Which one, sorry? Um, I did, did, didn't you appear on a, um, the Pippi Ellen um, CD, like oh, yes. New Generation um, of Pipers or something? Yeah, that's uh, the called. rolling the rolling wave CD. Yeah, that was um, a good. Ooh, that was about eight 
years ago now we did oh, that. Oh, it was eight years ago. My apologies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a Still while sounds ago. fresh. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully it sounds just as good as that recording. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually going to do the, um, uh, well, it depends how I feel when I get to the end of this tune. I was going to do a jig. I'm not sure what it is yet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, I'll see, I'll see how it goes. My pipes are really cold at the moment, um, so apologies if they are out of tune. But, yeah, it's, it's, getting, it's getting quite cold in London at the moment, so battling against this. Oh, thanks, Rita.
managed a managed a reg in at the end there. <laughs> one of the one of the ones that were in tune. <laughs> oh, by the way, do you want to say hi to my mum? <laughs> yes. Well, she's here. Um, do you want to say hi, mum? Mrs. Farrell, how are you? Hello, hello, hello. How are can you? Can you hear me? Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> it is. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Uh, and yourself? Good, thank you. We we hear you're the um, the singer and guitar player of the family. Well, no, I, I, I try a bit. I'm not, uh, my, my son is much better than myself, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Rita, Rita was telling me that um, you were going to, you were going to give us a, a wee blast of lovely Leitrim. <laughs> Yes, uh, she did. Did she tell you that? She did. She <laughs> did. <laughs> uh, well, she didn't tell me, but I, you know, I, I never, I never um, say no to a bit of music and singing, oh. um, as long as people join in. <laughs> so, where are you from yourself? Uh, well, I'm from Ballycastle, and Darren's from Drogheda. Oh, Drogheda, Daddy's County. Your Daddy's County, isn't it? Yeah. Ah. And and I'm from Leitrim, so we're all over the place. Aye. Mm, um, yeah. But it'd be it'd be lovely it'd be lovely to hear you singing if you fancy it. Well, I I'll do that if um are you going to do something? My dad's also here on the get the five string. Day. Yeah, five string. Yeah. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. Do you want to say hi, Dad? Hi, there, folks. Stick those on. Oh. <laughs> there you go, Mr. Farrell. Uh, we, yeah, I'll be playing the five string banjo, which. Uh, which, what start. style do you play? Do you are you a, are you a kind of Scruggs style or a Clawhammer style? Uh, um, actually, Clawhammer uh, Appalachian oh. old time. Yeah. I am also a Clawhammer Appalachian old time player. Oh right, lovely. You're um, the first first other Appalachian old time player that I've spoke to in seventy seven episodes of this podcast. Oh, that's <laughs> we're a rare breed. So you're very welcome. Yeah, <laughs> you're from well, you're from County Louth, is that right? Uh, County Louth, yeah. Um, Where are you from? Uh, I'm, from uh, Dro- I'm from Drogheda. As am I. You're joking, really? I I am. I'm, well, I grew up in Meadowview. Well, actually, Meadowview. Uh, my parents lived in Meadowview. Uh, let's say up to. Oh, I'm trying to think now. Um, when my mother came back to London after many years mm-hmm. in Ireland but anyway um, she lived in Meadowview so I know the area quite well you're kidding what number <laughs> uh, <laughs> well actually if you go in you know the uh, open green space area in I Meadowview do. as you come into the estate not from the graveyard side but from the, uh, the Baymore Road I think mm-hmm. yeah um, she would have been at a corner house um, uh, let's say coming onto the green right. area, a, yeah, yeah, a corner house. Um, I just can't remember the number. And, now. And, and, sorry, I forget the what you said. Are they Farrells? Uh, Farrells, yeah, yeah. We actually, as a family, lived in, um, brought up in the Bullring, which okay, yeah, um, and my father ran a butcher shop there, which is now called Chutes. It's still a butcher oh, shop. Kidding. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. Right beside Ollie Mullins. Yeah, not Ollie Mullins. Uh, be, it is Ollie that's Mullins. A, yeah, beside Ollie's, yeah. yeah. So when did you all move to London then? Uh, we moved to London when we were kids, 1963. And um, my parents went back in the early 80s. 
Um, when my father died, my mother re-emigrated again back to London, and she had a very happy last 10 years here, fairly near us, of course, here in London. So there you go. Was she glad to get back to London? Um, she Actually, she was glad to get back to Meadowview, but when my father died, you, you know, it's, um, she missed the family, so she yeah. came back to London. So it was a good move, good move for her. I'm just in awe that there's two Clawhammer banjo players from Drogheda with a Metaview um, collection. Metaview. Who would have thunk? <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, now, having said that I play Appalachian um, style, there is a crossover between with five string. There is a lady I've come across in California who actually has arranged Turlock O'Carolan music for five string. Oh, really? And she's not. Her name is, um, I think, uh, Janet Burton. Now, she's never been to Ireland. She's a retired school teacher. She never will go there. But I'll tell you, she's she's done some lovely arrangements for the Carolyn music. And it's very tastefully done. It's it's not bluegrassy, you know. Mm -hmm. Do do you play jigs and stuff? uh, Jigs, very difficult. Yeah, very very difficult. Um, you might be able to do it if you're a Bella Fleck or somebody like that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not 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 this lifetime. No. So anyway, I'll hand you back to uh, Rita okay. or whoever. Lovely. Mary, so, uh, yep, yeah, Mary's beside me here. Well, you go ahead. Hi, Mrs. Farrell. So, so <laughs> Mary, Mary, please, sorry. Mary. Mary, please. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, have you any any um, kind of connection what? with Leitrim or anything? I I, I no. don't actually. I no. don't. But I'm curious as to um, is lovely Leitrim a song that you just? I I've I you know when I lived in Leitrim I never sang it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think uh, you appreciate everywhere when you leave it. Um, yep. So yeah. now any opportunity I sing it. So um, it's a good old song, really. <laughs> do, you, do you still get Do you still get back to Ireland a lot? Oh, we do, we do. But uh, um, do. In the last two years, I haven't been over really. One, well, one was um, uh, wasn't very well in two thousand nineteen, and then of course this year we couldn't get over yeah. in the summer, but we mm-hmm. managed to get over there in um, September October, but uh, had to lock down for two weeks. But of course, no pubs open or anything, so it was very very different. Mm. very different so um but uh we appreciate it so much we we went uh we got a lot of walking and up on the hills uh, overlooking Loch allen and uh, met up with some relations and friends and um had the tea <laughs> up on the mountain which was lovely yeah. in the open not breaking any rules you know yeah and and, uh, and we had doing... a bit of a sing song as well yeah uh, how, how are you doing back in back in london uh well tough tough go of it at the it's tough but you know uh, we're very lucky having Rita and uh, her boyfriend James and um, we're one of the lucky ones you know and, and touch wood we have, haven't been affected with the, that awful virus and we just have mm-hmm. to mind ourselves all the time yeah. um, so I think the same with everybody all over the world so we just have to be careful and look out for each other um, at yeah. the end of the day yeah so yeah. so um, here goes with the lovely Leitrim Thank you so much for this. It's such a lovely, 
a surprise. What a great way <laughs> yeah. to that's a great way to end our Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I, what county again are you from? What what's the? I, I, I'm from I'm from County Ant- Antrim. 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 I don't know yeah. if I know any Antrim songs. The Green Glens of Antrim. <laughs> the Green Glens of Antrim. Mark, calling, calling to me. To me. Ah, and maybe you'd sing yourself. If we put you on loudspeaker, you could hear it. No. Do I leave it on the table?
Lovely Leitrim. Lovely Leitrim. And a claw hammer banjo player from Drogheda with what? connections to Meadowview. This is Get enough the with garden. the Drogheda. Enough with the Drogheda. You know, I uh, I ordered an album in in April and it arrived yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it's by, I think I've probably mentioned Nora Brown on here before, but it's by an um, American uh, banjo claw hammer player called Nora Brown. Anyway, that album came yesterday and to, that thought was still in my head from the day before thinking it's incredible that there's another five string claw hammer player with a meta view connection so anyway opened it and outfolds the, the a download code which you know comes with all albums these days and I thought you know what I know who needs this I'll send it over to Mr. Farrell. So hopefully he enjoys it. If you end up listen, if you end up listening to this, Mr. Farrell, I hope you did enjoy it. Let me know what you thought. I I, I just adore that album. Yeah, and thanks again, Mary, and thanks again, Rita. That was that was really Cracking. great. Yeah. So um, as usual, if you want to go to patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims, you can become a patron of the podcast. That'll help us keep going. Patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims, and. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. I mean, you can't you can't miss the the joy, the joy in our in our voices for the course of that inter- interview. It was brilliant. So thanks again, Rita. Thank you. See All you right. next week. See you then. Bye. Please give Dominic and Darren twenty five thousand eight hundred and eighty five stars. Thank you!